book of Matthew was probably written late 50s, early 60s. Some have dated it even past 70, but we're going to stick with that late 50s, early 60s date. And it was written to a predominantly Jewish audience. Now, I won't bore you with the Jewish context of Matthew. Mark will do that for you next week. Uh, Specifically today, though, I want to focus on one particular discourse, the first of five, actually, in the book of Matthew, the most famous sermon Jesus ever gave, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's chapters 5 through 7. So if you want to turn there with me today, that will be our core text, Matthew's five, Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew is writing with a Jewish overtone to a Jewish people to influence these Jewish people of the reality of the Messiah coming in Jesus. Christ, the promised one, coming to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament in a unique way. Not only will we be a people of lineage, bloodline any longer, but now we will be a transformed people by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only seen in obedience, but in a transformed heart. Jesus came to create a a new people, a unique people, not based on lineage, but now based on His work, His imputed righteousness that has transformed us. He is calling a people to be disciples. From the very beginning of His ministry, Jesus called unto Himself a unique group of people to be His disciples. And now... Having received the word of God, we now are also to be Jesus' disciples. Now, when I say disciples, I don't just mean some sort of like posse or group that walked around with Jesus to just kind of bask in his celebrity. No, there was a significant purpose to the disciples that Jesus called unto himself. They weren't just to sit and soak. They weren't just to hear and not do anything with that message with which they had been entrusted. No, Jesus called these disciples unto himself for a purpose. He called them because he knew his ministry would be limited on the earth. He knew that only for a period of time would he be here. And he needed a group of people to take this message, to take this unique, changed perspective, these principles that Christ was offering. He knew he needed a specific people to take these messages, internalize them, and then transform the world through their proclamation. He called these disciples to listen, to walk, to inherit the word of God and then proclaim that word as the hope of the nations that would transform the world. He called disciples to take this message and proclaim it. And that's what you and I are also called to today. We are called not just to come and listen to teaching. We are called not just to sit and soak. We're not called to be spiritual gluttons. We are called to take the word of God entrusted to us to listen to our grand teacher, Jesus, to take his teachings, his principles, internalize them, and then proclaim them to transform the world. We are to be the body of Christ in his physical absence. We are to be his disciples. And the central message for us as his disciples the centerpiece of Christ's teaching, the principles that we are to formulate our lives around are found 
in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' manifesto of sorts. This is everything that he is about. And it should shape our lives similarly. This should be everything that we are about as well. Because in this sermon, Jesus offers an ethic. A, a new way of living. A new system of behavior that should be characteristic of his disciples. As his disciples, we have been called to be set apart. We have been called to be holy as he is holy, meaning that you and I should look differently as a result of the teachings of Jesus Christ in our life. As the Holy Spirit of God awakens us to the truth of his word, that same Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in us after we have repented of our sin and trusted uniquely in Christ as our Savior and Lord. And this Holy Spirit empowers us to receive the truth of Jesus Christ, implement it into our lives, and then look differently as a result. The disciples of Jesus should look Different. We should be set apart. And Jesus outlines for us several principles in the Sermon on the Mount that show us how to look different and how to be set apart. And the unique thing for Matthew's audience, this Jewish audience, is that no longer is this unique set apartness ritualistic in nature only. Yes, there is behavior attached from it, but that behavior is not what sets you apart. The set-apartness comes from Jesus Christ inhabiting us and transforming our hearts so that our actions are not the cause of our righteousness or holiness, but the result of Jesus' righteousness inhabiting us. This has to be a mind-blowing thought for the Jewish people. Not, no longer will God and His Spirit rest in a temple among them. He will make each of us a temple residing in us. And as he resides in us, and as we perform this new ethic as the people of God, the world will be changed because the kingdom of darkness that has existed ever since the fall of man will now be overtaken by the kingdom of heaven, introduced by Christ himself when he came on the scene. And the question for us today as we study the Sermon on the Mount is this. Will we help to build this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, by pushing forth this ethic that has so transformed our life and seen in the person and work of Jesus? Or will we sit by and watch as it is built around us? It's a question for you this morning. Will you help to build this kingdom that Jesus established and then gave to his disciples to continue? Or will you sit back and watch it being built around you? Because listen to me, friends, today. The question is not whether or not the kingdom of God will be built. The question of not is not whether or not the kingdom of heaven will expand. The kingdom of heaven will grow. The kingdom of God will expand. Because at its core is the glory of God's name. And that is his chief concern among all things that his glory would be manifestly made known around the world and God will make that happen it will but you and I have the unique ability to partner as his disciples in making that kingdom a reality as you will do later today in fact whenever you take home your kid from Haiti Will you help build this kingdom 
Or will you sit by and watch it be built around you in spite? So, here's the question. How can I help to usher in the kingdom of heaven? Well, today I want to look at three overarching principles from the Sermon on the Mount that will help us to build the kingdom of heaven. Three overarching principles from Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that will help us to build the kingdom of God. The first one is this. We help to usher in the kingdom of God by proclaiming the fully satisfying nature of Christ. One of the characteristics of the disciples of Jesus Christ is that the disciples of Christ will proclaim the fully satisfying nature of Christ above all things. Some of you have heard me teach before know that I love Dr. Pepper. Anybody else in here from Dr. Pepper? This is the product placement portion of our Sunday morning. Sponsored by Dr. Pepper. It's just so good, isn't it? I mean, is I call it the nectar of the gods. I mean, it's just something unique about Dr. Pepper that is better than any other drink I've ever tasted. And it's the sad reality of so many things that we enjoy in life that they're not always really good for you. So you have to, you know, have it in moderation. I love Dr. Pepper. And one of the things that offends me the most is when I go to a restaurant and I order a Dr. Pepper and they say the following words. I'm sorry, sir. We don't have Dr. Pepper. Is Mr. Pibb okay? No. It's not okay. By definition, Mr. Pibb is inferior to Dr. Pepper, right? That is the disparity between the taste awesomeness of Mr. Pibb and Dr. Pepper. And I proclaim this everywhere. I don't want water. I don't want tea. I don't want Gatorade. I don't want Mr. Pibb. I want Dr. Pepper because it satisfies my taste and all of its 23 flavors in ways that no other drink can. I am a Dr. Pepper fanatic. I've bought in. I've drank the proverbial Kool-Aid, mixing metaphors, all right? And the same thing should be true of us in our proclamation of Jesus Christ. But in a world that is thirsty, and that is looking to have that thirst quenched, that you and I, having looked in every other possible water fountain on the planet, have found a unique living water in the person and work of Jesus. And now, we no longer long for the same things that the rest of the world longs for, because Christ has uniquely satisfied us. Think about the Beatitudes that Christ teaches about in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about how ridiculous they sound. Listen to this. Verse 3 of chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit? That makes no sense. Blessed are those who mourn. And this blessedness, this happiness that they're talking about here, this word in the Greek, is a unique blessedness. A a deep happiness that cannot be altered or changed. A a resounding joy that is inexplainable. And Jesus is saying that this kind of incredible blessing, this incredible happiness is reserved for these people, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Think about the history of mankind at this point. No meek person has ever inherited the kingdom of the earth. It's been warriors 
bold people, sometimes terrible people, who have conquered lands. They are the ones who will inherit the earth. And yet Christ comes and says, no, the meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed Happy, joyful are those who are persecuted? How can that make sense? Well, persecution ultimately is an attack on the self. It's removing things that you and I like. It's affecting our comfort, affecting our pleasure in an earthly manner of speaking. It's taking away the basic necessities of life, food, health, sometimes even the life itself. How on earth can Christ come and proclaim that in persecution there is blessing? It's because the people of God who will be persecuted upon the name of Jesus have found satisfaction beyond here, rooted in something far much greater. You want love? You need peace? You can turn to human relationships. You can turn to human governments to find those things. But no, they will not last. And know that the people who give them to you will fail you ultimately. The place you can find love in its perfect and infinite eternal form is only in God who placed the desire for love deep within you, not to find it in His creation, but to cause you to turn to Him and find it infinitely, perfectly satisfied. And then to give Him the glory and honor for it, telling others who are looking for the exact same thing, that the only place that you can find it fully and completely satisfyingly is in the person and work of Jesus. And that is how the kingdom of God is built. We have rejected the satisfying temporariness of this world for the eternal, glorifying satisfaction, eternally so, perfectly so, that can only be found in our God. We didn't know about this. And then Jesus Christ came and said, let me tell you about this living water. Let me tell you about this bread of life. That will fill every craving you have. As the people of God, we must proclaim that we are only satisfied by God. Otherwise, we'll continue to live between two kingdoms. And we will cause our message to be ineffective. Because our actions do not back up our words. Do you truly believe that Jesus alone satisfies Or will you reject him for the temporary satisfaction that comes from the passions of this world? What I promise you, friend, if you've walked with Christ long enough, you know that temporary pleasure always, always, always ends in regret. Having tasted that the Lord is good. 
So we help to usher in the kingdom of God by proclaiming the fully satisfying nature of Christ. We have tasted living water and we have eaten of the bread of life. Secondly, we help to usher in the kingdom of God by considering others to be greater than ourselves. One of the key factors of the kingdom of heaven instituted by Jesus Christ here in the Gospels is that it is others-focused. Others-focused. And certainly that is the example that Christ himself sets, not counting equality with God, something to be grasped, but instead taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself of all of the awesomeness of heaven and stepped down into this mess. Let me just help you a little bit to understand. Some of you heard me tell the story before about what Jesus left and what he stepped into. Last Christmas, we had an incredible, incredible show here uh, at our church, right? Some of you were able to see it, I hope. And one particular night, we had a Spanish-specific night, right? And guys, it was incredible. We have such favor with the Spanish community here. And to see literally not a seat available in this auditorium was a fantastic thing to imagine. And afterward, of course, we had the snow on the softball field and volleyball courts for the families to be able to experience because obviously we live in Houston and we don't get a lot of snow because it's October and we're still hitting 80 degrees outside, although today and yesterday were awesome. Um, So we offer snow to help people experience the snow experience. So after our Spanish Christmas production was over, we encouraged everyone to go out to the softball fields and volleyball fields to experience the snow. And I think every single person did. All 5,000 were coming down the hall, and some of them had to go to the bathroom on their way. And I guess the overwhelming nature of that to our sewage system caused the septic tank to stop working. And so right in the middle of the volleyball courts and softball fields where all the snow was, were some manholes, okay? And if you, I mean, you know plumbing systems and sewage systems, manholes are connected to the sewage area, okay? And so we're sitting there welcoming everyone in, and literally water starts pouring out of these, you know, manholes. Well, immediately we know what kind of water that is, all right? Now, some of the little kids did not know, and so they, they think it's melted snow, and so they're running through it. Look, Mommy, I'm playing in the snow. It wasn't snow, okay? Um, and so my friends, Chris and Katya and I, kind of formed this triangle around the sewage water. Like, don't step in there, okay? Well, in the middle of this flood in the sewage piping system, we also disturbed the home of several creatures known as cockroaches. And I'm lying if I'm dying. I'm, I'm, I'm dying if I'm lying, Chris. You know this. I'm not kidding you. Hundreds of cockroaches began to pour out of this manhole. All right? So in the middle of our snow extravaganza is sewage water infested with cockroaches. All right? So I'm like stepping on cockroaches in shoes that no longer are with us. Like proclaiming, you know, cuidado. Lost cucarachas. Step back. All right. Now I say that to you to help you understand the nastiness that Jesus Christ stepped into for you and I. Jesus left the glory of heaven to come down and rescue us from 
cockroach gut infested sewage water. That's what he did for us. And yet you and I won't miss a football game to go tell someone about Jesus. Do you see the disparity between what Christ did for us, how much he sacrificed for us, and how little we sacrifice for him today? As disciples of Jesus Christ, we must be others, others focused. $30 a month? Think about the meal you will go to after today that you will spend $30 on. And yet this will feed them for a month. Jesus was others, others focused. Look at chapter 5, verse 44 from the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For me, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends, on, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We were enemies of God. We rejected God when we knew that only He could satisfy us and we turned to things that He created to point us toward Him and gave them the glory that He alone was due. And yet, in spite of being enemies of God at enmity with Him, He looked down upon us with compassion and with love and came and rescued us. And you and I as His disciples must do the same. We must care about others more than we care about ourselves because that is what a disciple of Christ does. That's what Jesus himself did. And finally, not only do we help to usher in the kingdom of God by proclaiming the fully satisfying nature of Christ or considering others to be greater than ourselves, we also help usher in the, usher in the kingdom of God by trusting fully in the sovereignty of God. Our God is good. He is trustworthy. And if He is in control, how can you or I worry? Knowing that He orchestrates all things for the good of those who love Him. Look at the end of chapter 6. Verses 32 to 34. But the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How you and I respond to times of distress in our lives, how you and I respond to storms that arise, how you and I respond the moments when we do not get that job promotion that we thought we deserved? How you and I respond when someone in our family is diagnosed with a terminal illness? How you and I respond when someone in our family, someone we love, dies? 
how you and I respond when our children rebel against the authority in our household, all of this matters. Because it communicates how much we truly trust the Lord. It's okay to be burdened. It's okay to fear. But in the midst of that burden, in the midst of that fear, we must also, also remember that God is in control. And that He is sovereign over all things. He didn't just wake up this morning, forget to set His alarm, and something happened that He didn't know about. He wasn't just playing solitaire on His computer, listening to Avalon, and, oh, how did, how did this happen? When did, when did Jared get sick? I didn't know. All of it, it's under his purview. He is in control. And we must trust that even when we don't understand, he is still good. I didn't get this promotion. God didn't open that door. But I'm trusting that he has something greater. This relationship didn't work out. I'm not supposed to marry that girl. I'm, I'm brokenhearted over it, but i got to trust that God has someone better for me and greater for me on the horizon. Do you trust the Lord that way? Or do you worry? Are you anxious over things? Because that anxiety, that worry is really a statement about how much you trust the Lord. Jesus trusted the Lord so much that he gave his life. And aren't you thankful he did? Because God was glorified in ways that human minds could never imagine as a result of Christ's unyielding obedience. So for us this morning, my friends, there are only two choices in reacting to the message of Jesus. You can either build your foundation on this sturdy rock of principles that God has given to us that will withstand any storm. Or you can continue to build your life on sand. Because as Jesus says in chapter 7, rain's going to fall and floods are going to come in every life. Righteous and unrighteous alike, it comes. How you handle those rains is a direct result of the foundation of your life. And if you are truly a disciple of Christ, then your foundation should be the teaching of Jesus. And it should transform the way that you live. As Tim Keller says, if you have a mild response to Jesus Christ... You have no intellectual integrity. You can't have half of your foundation rock and half of your foundation sand. It's either all or nothing. You can't just be a good person. Good persons, moral persons, don't claim what he claimed if he is not truly Lord. He'd be a liar or he'd be a crazy person, as C.S. Lewis would say. So what is our response today? A challenge for you. Some questions to consider. Will you be fully satisfied by Christ 
and proclaim it. Will you choose to reject the temporary pleasures of this world that distract you from fully experiencing the greatness of our God? Or will you continue to be double-minded? Living in two worlds. I'm telling you. He's the best drink out there. There's no reason to go taste anything else. He is the best. Secondly, will you sacrifice to serve others? As Jesus himself did, some of you are about to do that very thing. Guys, we are blessed in Northwest Houston. We are. We're blessed at this church. The resources we have at our fingertips are unparalleled. Blessing we have. But you also know that to whom much is given, much is required. We have been blessed to be a blessing. And I'm rejoicing with how many of you have already committed to this, but let me challenge the rest of you to step up our game to sacrifice, to serve others. And finally, will you trust in the sovereignty of God? Even when you don't understand it. Because that's what disciples of Christ do. Think about how much He has already given us. Think about how clearly He has already been shown to be faithful. And great, big things. Surely we can trust that he will be faithful in our small things as well. We are to be disciples of Jesus. We are to take the teachings of Jesus, internalize them, and then shape and mold our lives around them to build his kingdom and his church in his physical absence. Do you look like a disciple of Jesus today? Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would take these timeless truths of the Sermon on the Mount and shape us and mold us around them to help bring you glory. For that is our desire in all things. God, we love you and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.